You're listening to I Am Here. Megan, welcome to the I Am Here podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, so you run two podcasts, one of which yeah. is not released. Uh, so <laughs> Modifier and Tales from Thetis. Yeah. Why don't we just jump right in and you tell me a little bit about yourself and your podcasts. Okay, sure. So <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll start with the podcasts because I am confident I know what those things are about. Modifier is a podcast I've been doing for a little over two years now. And it's on the One Shot Podcast Network. It's an interview podcast uh, where my goal is to talk to people, whether they're pro designers or hobbyists or, or however they classify themselves, um, people who change games and modify games um, and, and why they do it. Like what what kind of experience are they hoping to have or what kind of needs are they hoping to meet? But something is driving people to say, mm, this game would be cool if you did this to it. And like, that's what I want to talk about and find out why. So so I've talked to people who do like D&D homebrews or that want to play Mass Effect, but with the, well, it's the Genesis system now, but like at the time it was the Edge of the Empire or or we we talk about accessibility a lot, making games more accessible to different types of players, uh, all all that sort of stuff. So that's amazing. <laughs> I've had a really good time with it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I have quite enjoyed listening to it because it's actually given me ideas for like certain things that I've done to games. So. Ooh. Uh, a couple of years ago, I created a Harry Potter RPG. Nice. Uh, using the Edge of the Empire system. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, which I guess I could now use Genesis. But mm -hmm. but yeah, so uh, in listening to your show, there's been things where I've been like, oh, I never thought of that. I'm going to use that. Oh, good. That's see, that's that is the like, that's why I do it. That makes me really happy. <laughs> it's It's a great show. Why? Why did you start it? <laughs> what fueled it? Or what continues to fuel it? Yeah, it. my initial thought when I pitched it to James and Kat, or my, I mean, this was my initial pitch, but when I started thinking about, oh, what, what kind of show would I do if I, if I did a games podcast, my first thought was to focus on specifically accessibility and making games more accessible for players with different disabilities, because I am a disabled player and game master. Um, and that's like important to me. And, um, and, and now that I've done the show for uh, as long as I have, I probably could have gotten away with that. Like, um, there's an, probably enough material out there to sustain a biweekly podcast about making games accessible. Um, but I, I am glad that I opened it up and made the, my approach a little bit broader. Because uh, I've learned lots of cool things too. So that's awesome. I, I really like that the, the drive behind it was that accessibility drive because a lot of the times, and I try really hard to pay attention to this kind of thing because I'm always surprised when I learn something new from somebody who does have a disability. And I'm like, wow, that that's such an easy thing for me to be able to do to make this thing accessible. Mm -hmm. I wish I had known that earlier, but it's so great that I know it now. Yeah. I'm really trying to find those ways of being accessible and and your show has absolutely helped that. Yay. Because there are so many things that you you just don't think of. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really easy to guess or assume that the players at your table don't have disabilities because a lot of disabilities can be really invisible mm -hmm. and really hard to tell. 
in the same way that somebody can look perfectly healthy, but maybe they have something that is really debilitating and makes it really hard for them to sit for long hours. And so even things like checking in with your players and making sure like, hey, is everybody comfortable? Does anybody need to stand up? Does anybody need a cushion? Does it like yeah. even little things like that, making sure people are physically comfortable and and physically able to continue playing at the table. And your podcast is definitely over the time that I've been listening to it, given me kind of cues of things that I could be doing at my table that oh, I never thought of before. That's awesome. On that note, you said being disabled has really been the driver for talking about accessibility in gaming. Yeah. Can we can we delve a little bit more into that? Sure. What aspects of accessibility, <laughs> I guess, are you especially passionate about? Yeah. <laughs> or, What's my deal? Um. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't have to tell me, or like, you don't have to tell like the audience, like any specific. Yeah. No. That. That's that's totally fine. Um, I, I have talked about it pretty openly on my show, and uh, and I know on others. So I have albinism which pretty much always comes with a visual impairment, almost always going to be legally blind if you have albinism. There, It, it, it is kind of a spectrum. Uh, so I definitely am. Even corrected, uh, my eyesight still falls in the legally blind range. Uh, so, so yeah, so my, my wheelhouse is visual accessibility uh, and making things easier for uh, players with low to no vision, but I have been learning more through talking to other people for the show. You know, we, we've branched out and talked about all kinds of uh, different needs and things like that. Like you were talking about some physical ones. Um, we haven't talked nearly enough, in my opinion, about hearing impairments uh, and that like how to make games more friendly for like deaf players and, and hard of hearing players, right? which is super interesting to me. Yeah, but my my area of expertise, I guess, is uh, is with vision. Um, that's it's just sort of always been part of my experience growing up, making things more accessible to me so that I can do them. I tend to do things for whatever reason or choose to do things that uh, need need me to. So. I guess, for example, um, I, I am an artist. I do a lot of visual work, and that's not something that you might normally assume a blind person would do. Uh, right. so, so that's just sort of how I roll. <laughs> and that's really interesting to me, because that must be, to a certain extent, a struggle for you, or yeah. at least a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, like, challenge, I think, is the right word. Um, and it's, but it's, it's not so, hmm, I don't know, I guess, I guess if you're not challenging yourself, then what are you doing? That's that's a really good point. Yeah, like not to get like no, no absolutely, <laughs> but because but that's true because I mean, the only way you get better at things is to challenge yourself. Yeah, and like things would just be really boring yeah. <laughs> otherwise. So, I'm not good at being bored. So, with visual impairments, how how has that I mean, we've we've talked a little bit about how that has driven your desire to talk about gaming and um making things more accessible to you. How have you felt that has influenced uh the types of games you play or how you play? Um so I definitely don't do a lot of like I I play more role playing games and storytelling games I think than like board games and tabletop stuff that involves minutia and miniatures and cards and bits and pieces everywhere they're they're not on they're not out of the question they're not impossible um, but they definitely tend to frustrate me faster than 
uh, a straight up like role playing game. We're going to create this story together. We're going to weave this narrative out loud with our voices and use your imagination and your mind palace and come join me here in this <laughs> theater of the mind. Um, that's that's definitely more enjoyable. Uh, I, I'm not always as I GM more games. I find that uh, I could I definitely need to improve the way that I kind of convey what I'm imagining to other people. Um, so that's something that it has been an interesting skill for me to learn. But that that's sort of where I'm at. So um, even games uh, like, you know, I, I started playing D&D in college and we would use minis and, uh, you know, map everything out. This is five feet. This is five. And you move these this many squares and like we'd play that way. But I feel like uh, we quickly it would devolve into just like, yeah, you're close enough. It's fine. You know, like we, <laughs> we get into that, like, no, not nobody else really wants to do the math and to, to do like be very precise about it either it's just we find it's just more fun to to tell the story and and what sounds cool um so games that let you do that that let you fuss with it a little bit and fudge things a little bit to to tell a cooler story right and i i totally not from a disability uh point of view but i feel you with the minis and everything and counting things out the shift from two in 5e from from 4e i was like oh yeah we can just verbalize everything yeah (laughs) It just it just makes things flow so much better. You're not spending so much time hung up in a combat either. Like I think it's yeah. it it's just a nice it's a nice shift that we've taken in gaming and I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and there's so many so many RPG games out there where you don't need where you don't need to worry about the the minutia of moving minis around and mm-hmm. counting and I think to some extent like that visual aspect is not always necessary anymore. Yeah. Which likely influences a lot of people on which games they're going to play. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's interesting, though, that you brought up hearing impairment, because in listening to a lot of podcasts, I think a lot about my mom. So she is, she's not completely deaf. She has hearing aids. Mm-hmm. But she has a lot of problems when like she doesn't like listening to things when people fix the audio so that one voice is in one ear and the other voice is oh, in the other ear. Yeah, I hate that too. <laughs> That's really frustrating for her because she finds it it messes with with her understanding and being able to follow the conversation. Right. Because one ear is always hearing more than the other ear. And so she misses bits of conversation. And so just based on conversations with her about that really influenced the way that I edit my podcasts. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's things like that that can be really powerful is like helping helping make things more accessible and learning these things and remembering these things. Yeah. I it really it, you know, it's as as frustrating as it can be. It it's one of those things where I think until someone until you or someone close to you is experiencing with it, it's just not something we think about. And that's totally understandable because we can't expect to know every experience. But being able to share those experiences through through our show or talking to people at conventions and and making other people aware of it, like I, I can definitely see it it changing in the games community. Like there's definitely much more of an awareness to that sort of stuff now. Yeah, certainly. Do you find it easier or more difficult to DM versus play uh, with all of the visual things that are necessary? Like I just imagine when I've DM'd, I'm like I have my computer screen and I have yeah. my notebook and I have my DM screen and then I have the players who I'm looking at. Right. Like just sitting here talking about this with you, I'm like, wow, like I look at a lot of things when I'm DMing. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's there's um there's a photo of me somebody took at Gen Con. I was running a Dragon Age game and I've got my my cheat sheets. 
uh, in front of me, and I've got my my laptop as well. The PDF is blown up real huge on the laptop, <laughs> and uh, and I've got the DM screen in front of all of that. And I love the idea that DM screens um, that are made for specific games like Dragon Age have like the cheat sheets on the back of them, but those are useless to me. I can't read them. So it looks like I have 14 different versions of the exact same information because <laughs> I do. That's just how I have to roll. So I've started making my own cheat sheets for things like when I have time to prep in advance games that are, are a little bit more intense like that. Right. Just because there is so much to look at. And then I've found that I think it's just affected the, my style of GMing is that I'm much more willing to make a judgment about something on a fly on, on the fly or like just throw a rule out because like I don't have time to go looking for this right now. Just do what you want to do. That's fine. That sounds cool. That sounds awesome. Let's do that. So so I'm definitely more of a more of a lax GM in that way. <laughs> but that's okay. It's just my style. So yeah, no, that's I, I like hearing though about how you've how you've modified it to fit you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of modifier, <laughs> hey, <laughs> like that's just so fascinating to me because I just I have so many things to look at, and as a player, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have your character sheet, yeah. And the the groups that I GM for, they're either my friends that I've known forever and they know me, or um, when I GM at conventions, it's it's usually people that I I know or have known a little bit on Twitter or friends of theirs, or it's something like a double exposure event where it's just generally a cool group of people, like they're very chill right. and very accepting. Um, and so I can just show up and be like, hi, here is my deal. I'm, you know, like just work with me a little bit. And everybody's super cool to do that. So I'll, you know, I'll ask people what their character name is for the sixth time uh, because I can't read the little card in front of them. And that's fine. Or I'll, you know, just help me remember where this was. Okay, that's that's cool. They're cool to do that. Like everybody wants to help and make this a fun experience. So right. And if they don't, they can get out. So, <laughs> so it sounds like you've had some pretty positive experiences then. Uh, I guess, have you always had positive experiences in tabletop gaming, kind of specifically related to your disability or to being a woman? Because you still, of yeah. course, have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is also a true fact. Yeah, I think overall positive. There was a, there was a period when I played in college that uh, the folks that I played with were just kind of... Mm, um, not ideal for a number of reasons. And that sort of turned me off to it for years. And I, yeah, I don't know if it really had anything to do. Like, I couldn't point it back to specifically being a woman or specifically disability. I think they were just kind of like garbage humans that I didn't need to spend any more time with. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, hey, it's cool. We all make bad decisions sometimes in our lives. uh, We do. And we learn from them. And sometimes there are hilarious stories that come out of it. But it was it was a learning experience. And, you know, it taught me a lot about what I do and don't like about role playing games and that I wanted to play something other than D20 Modern with a bunch of jerkheads. So, <laughs> yeah, that's... I, I think that was just... Yeah, it's, it, that's just the college years of making bad decisions. I, yeah. I could have been anybody and had a similar, <laughs> like, hmm, no thanks. I, I think games are for nerds. I'm going to go do something cool for a while. Um, but now I'm back. Whoops. So... <laughs> so how do you feel about, um, like, 
language in in gaming. So uh, recently, mm. somebody had tweeted about how um, phrases like crazy and lame and turning a blind eye or a deaf yeah. ear or being spineless, those are all like ableist kind of sure. terms. And many of them I have removed from my vocabulary as a result of, you know, growing older and being mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> a more respectful human in general. Yeah. But some of them I, I kind of hadn't hadn't really thought of. So like turning a blind eye, like so many people I know have said that my whole life and used right. that phrase or being like, oh, grow a backbone. Like, come on. Yeah. And I totally never thought about it until I saw this individual tweet about this. And I was like, oh my gosh. Yes. So that's, I, I saw that same tweet too um, the other day. And I think, hmm. So I, I feel like I can really only speak from experience to terminology about like turning a blind eye, that sort of thing. The others don't really affect my my personal experience. And I feel like there's a difference to me. There's a difference between uh, certain turns of phrase that we use to illustrate a point like that, like turning a blind eye. That means something like we understand what that means when somebody says it. Um, and it's it's the way that our language has evolved to say that thing. Um, so there's a difference between that. And the stuff that I really have a problem with, which is uh, using disability in games to to be like a penalty or or using it as just just in, in gross ways that are dehumanizing or inaccurate or that sort of thing. So I like I have more problem with that than with people tossing off the word crazy, but don't, I don't want anybody to point at me and be like, oh, this disabled person I know said it's fine. I'm going to do it. Right. No, <laughs> if somebody says, hey, I have a problem with that language, like that you're playing with, like respect that. Right. Absolutely respect that. If, if they're, if you're playing a game with them, if you are engaging them with them in any way, if they're a friend of yours, like do, do the thing, do the friendly thing and respect what they're asking you. Mm-hmm. So more so using disabilities as a plot point or as a, yeah. As as a consequence. Um, so yes. the first thing that popped into my mind, which I, I in some way hate to use it in, as an example, but I will anyways. Um, so I adore The Adventure Zone. I think it's a great show. Mm-hmm. I think the McElroys are really fantastic at recognizing when they've made mistakes and are really good about apologizing about that kind of thing. But the first thing that pops into my head is they had an arc. I don't know if you listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I listened to the the balance. Um, I kind of fell off after that. Okay, you know what? I'm not even caught up, so. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it pops into my mind, the arc where they're in that, basically they're playing that game, the necromantic elf people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And they have to sacrifice certain things. Yes. And one of them had to sacrifice an eye. Yep. And I think it was Merle. Merle had to sacrifice an eye. And then they reduced his perception. Right. It's interesting because as soon as you said, you know, using that as as a penalty, I thought, well, just because somebody doesn't have vision in one eye doesn't necessarily mean they're any less perceptive Mm -hmm. of the world around them. Right. They learn how to be perceptive in other ways. Like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but that just popped into my head from from what you said. Sure. Because that can't exactly be validated. <laughs> yeah. There's. It's it's such a strange and fine line to walk. Where so so Merle loses his eye. He's lived. He's plays a dwarf who's what like a hundred years old. Has lived a hundred years of his life with two eyes and suddenly loses one. I can understand 
having a penalty because like that is a jarring experience. You are not used to living your life this way. But if you want to build a character who has one eye, there shouldn't be a penalty like that. You oh, know, they're, they're not they're okay. not going to roll like, uh, you know, they're not going to roll a, a seeing check because they're not that's not how they perceive things. They're going to roll something else or they're going to perceive in a different way. Um, so so I I think. I don't know. That's me personally, I guess. If you have a character who is suddenly in a in a new situation that they have not spent their whole life, you know, getting used to and finding ways around that, yeah, maybe they do have a penalty to something. It could be part of the system, though, to sort of get better at it and to lose that penalty after a certain amount of time. Right. So I'm just I'm spitballing now, but <laughs> no, but that's that's great. Like, again, me not having any kind of blindness. I mean, I've even when I was younger, I used to joke that I was blind without my glasses. Mm -hmm. um, until I had a friend who was legally blind and was like, Tessa, you're not blind. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> nice. Oh, my gosh, I'm so I did not mean for that to be like offensive. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I stopped using that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've definitely been that friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's fantastic. I like being called out when I say stupid things. So <laughs> even just this conversation, me saying like, oh, hey, how how do you feel about Merle losing an eye and them giving a penalty to him for that? I, I think it's a fun conversation. So <laughs> yeah, and your perspective is amazing. I, I love this. I love having this kind of conversation because it also leads to what you said about like everybody learns to manage or cope in one way or another with the hand that is dealt to them. Mm -hmm. People learn all sorts of coping mechanisms. For sure. And it doesn't mean that they're any less good at something. Just like you can be an artist and be legally blind. Yeah. <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me tell me about Tales from Thetis. Oh man. So we announced Tales from Thetis last year. God, it's probably almost been a year. I'm so sorry. <laughs> By the time this comes out, it's almost definitely been a year since we've announced it. So I hope there's an episode out for someone to listen to. <laughs> It is a Dragon Age anthology actual play podcast. And so what that means is we are telling a bunch of stories within the Dragon Age universe. Uh, for people who don't know, Dragon Age is a video game series. Um, there's three installments out, and in each one you are playing like the hero of Ferelden, the champion of Kirkwall, you know, uh, you are saving the world, basically, in each game. You're playing 50 to 100 hours of a video game where you are saving the known world from horrible, horrible disaster. And there's so much stuff that goes on in this in universe uh, around you and behind you and to support you. Uh, and there's like so many cool places to visit and people to find out about. And so this the idea for this podcast was we were going to take a look at the smaller stories that are going on in this massive universe. And games would fall somewhere between, you know, not as short as one shot and not as long as campaign has been going <laughs> on. So I think right now, like our first arc is is looking to be eight or 12 episodes. Okay. Something like that. Uh, I am still in the editing process with the with this one. Uh, we, we started recording this arc in November, I think, October or November. Uh, we were finally able to corral people together to start playing. And it's been a mix of... Uh, the, the derailment has been a mix of kind of coordinating everyone since we're all doing this remotely and we're all in different time zones and we're all podcast people with other projects. Um, it's, it's a little bit like herding cats, of course. Right. Um, so there's been that. And then there's been some stuff with the, or our system. We started using the Dragon Age system, uh, for this first arc and we, 
took a pivot uh, a couple episodes in to do a to use a modified version of Dungeon World. Oh, awesome! Which we're calling Dragon World. Yeah, that seems like it'll work. Yeah, exactly. And that's been that was kind of part of the the thesis for the podcast from the from the beginning was that each story we would use whatever system would help us tell the story best. Uh, and so this is this first arc is pretty much a straightforward Dragon Age kind of adventure. Um, but we've got stuff in the works where like we want to tell we want to use reflections to tell the story of the harrowing that a, a mage goes through. Right. We want to do like we want to do a, a, a fuzzy a warm silly fuzzy one with golden sky stories where you play like a mabari and a nug and you know you just like oh, help people amazing. in super cute yeah you could play starcrossed with you know a mage yes. and a templar uh, well we're going to now <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> stuff like that because bringing bringing in from the modifier thing that i do all the time right now seeing how we can make other systems tell these stories yeah. uh, and, and how much work that involves uh so it's it's been a little while and so i'm still editing I'm sorry. No, <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah, but it is coming. I mean, I a part of why I'm so hyped about it is because of Palomi, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's oh, what she's happens. So when- good. This this first arc is Palomi. It's uh, Maddie Ray. It's Quinn Wilson, and it's Darcy Ross. And oh my god, that is a beautiful group of people. They're it's amazing. Wow, <laughs> I love them. I love playing with them. I love torturing I love all them. Five I of like. You. I like it so much that I want this to be. I just want it to be the best and perfect. And is that so much to ask? <laughs> no, no, especially with that group, not at all. Yeah, and all I will so. All I will tell anybody about the the first arc is that it's it's a lot of feels real fast, and I'm not sorry. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm also not surprised with the group that you have. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. They they go hard. They go hard on. Uh, I I love the way we've done it. Is I, I've left a lot of decisions up to them. Things will come up, and I will ask them to give me. Uh, basically the worst or the saddest thing they can come up with and they are right there to do it like they're like yes this is it this is what will rip my heart out and i'm like thank you you're the perfect player i appreciate <laughs> that so that's amazing oh now i'm even more excited to listen to it it's it's real good <laughs> i will be hyping the heck out of it oh cool i love talking to people about dragon age so that's the other selfish reason that i started making the tales from thetas podcast is so people would come and talk to me about dragon age and i would just yes <laughs> Oh, so yeah, so I'm excited about Tails. Me too. So let's go back to a younger Megan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) What got you into RPGs? What started Mm. this beautiful path into where you are now? Well, probably my first RPGs were video games, like JRPGs and that sort of thing. I played a lot of Final Fantasy IX. (laughs) And, ooh, so... Stuff that I didn't realize kind of led to that path until I was much older, you know, um, and talking to people about uh, like proto RPGs and that sort of thing. Uh, like choose your own adventure. Like that's kind of a one player RPG. Those yeah. I was super into those. And then I realized uh, a couple of years ago that when I was a, a kid around eight or nine years old, my parents bought me a board game that was sort of a board game, mostly a LARP for little girls that I loved to death. No one ever actually played it with me, but I listened to the cassette tape over and over and over again and pretended to play it so that was super cool but then actual like tabletop dungeons and dragons that kind of stuff i think i sort of knew about just through cultural osmosis 
And then in high school, I knew some kids who actually played it, and I definitely had a crush on one of them. And he lent me his D&D book to borrow one night, and I tried reading it, and I went, oh my god, this is so boring and dumb. And I looked at all the pictures, and I gave it back to him. But he let me he let me borrow it to like draw some of the pictures out of it sometimes. But they didn't actually let me play their game, oh. which, which to be fair, I understand now as an adult, you don't just crash somebody's D&D game. It's not <laughs> like Monopoly. They're not starting over every week. So that's cool. That's, that's fine. True. I'm not mad about that. Um, also, they were all boys and I was a girl and I had cooties. So that's very fair, too. So no hard feelings. As, as it is. <laughs> yeah. Which so it's totally reasonable. But they were very nice and they told me a little bit about it. And then in college, I started playing with a with a good friend of mine and, and some of his friends. And we I honestly don't remember anything about our campaigns, except that he was very frustrated with us all the time, which seems like a college GM thing to do. We were probably making his life miserable. And we, we like to play at his house because we could walk to the Taco Bell. That was the highlight of our evenings. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That's a great foray into tabletop gaming. <laughs> yeah. It was a nice, chill time. Like, I know I was probably like an elf ranger because that's who I was in college. I thought that was the coolest shit. And we just sat around and probably like beat up kobolds and ate tacos and then played rock band. Like that's that's that was D D. <laughs> I mean that sounds like a great time. Yeah, it was good. It was real nice. So you told me that it's impossible to answer what your favorite RPG is to play. Yeah. <laughs> that's very But fair. I'm gonna try to make you answer it anyways. Oh man. So what are your favorites? Or <laughs> what favorites. are your current favorites? Yeah. So I will I will always have a place in my heart for Dragon Age, just for reasons. Though I don't know if that's, like, it's a flawed system, so I don't think it's my favorite. I enjoy games that let you fail forward, and I enjoy games that let everybody kind of work on the narrative together. So let me look at my shelf <laughs> next to me and see, hmm... So I I super enjoyed Blades in the Dark. Um, I haven't played it in a while. Ooh. Oh, it's so good. And it's it's a good system. Um, it was a lot of fun. And I, I so it's hard for me to pick a favorite game um, because I I try I try to play games that I haven't played before. Um, most of my game playing I do at conventions. I do like at double exposure events and stuff. And I purposefully try to sign up for stuff that I've never played. Okay. So I'm I'm constantly playing something new to me. And I feel like every time, like, most of the games I come out of, I'm like, that's the best. It's my new favorite game. And and it might be. It might be a great game. But a lot of it is probably also the people that I choose to play with just make right. it a really good time. So, like, I'm super biased because <laughs> <laughs> um, I like people so much. So I loved Kagematsu. I absolutely loved it. I know it was it was a, one of those great, like, perfect people, perfect time, just excellent outcome the way the story unfolded. So... I haven't played it again since then, but I absolutely love that experience. I think Kagematsu would definitely be way up on my list of, of favorite games. And I think that's the other thing, too. Like, it's hard for me to judge, is this a good game or did I just have a really good one-off experience? Because I've, I've, I play so many games, like, just one time and really right. enjoy it. So I don't know. I don't have that, I don't have that scientific evidence, that quantitative <laughs> evidence to go back and say, yes, this is actually a good game. Um, no, but that's, that's amazing because you get people like me who I, I love my gaming group dearly, but they, they love D&D. Mm hmm. Yeah. They're really scared to play anything else. <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> 
So you said that you play a lot at conventions and you said that you pick the groups that you play at. So do you pre-choose groups you're going to play with at conventions or do you do drop-ins? So uh, the ones that I've run so far, games that I've run at conventions, have been, uh, most of them have been like not official games. They've been like pickup kind of things or or I just sort of decide ahead of time that I'm going to do that. And so like I am able to say, hello, people that I know, would you like to come play a game with me? And so that's been really nice. And then the games that I am a player in, uh, usually the way like Double Exposure does their scheduling, I don't know who else is going to be in them. And even like, even a Catacon, I think it's it's still a little bit of a mystery uh, who else is actually signed up to play until you get there. But it's 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 a community that I've gotten to know pretty well at this point. Right. So I almost always know somebody when I show up, which is super nice. And then if I don't, then maybe I'll know somebody by the time we leave. But I kind of have a, a, a general idea of of who oh, how they're going to be or who's going to be there or or I may of know who's running it. Mm-hmm. I unfortunately have heard so many like bad stories about yeah. conventions that I've never been to a convention. That's why I like the small ones. Like the playing games, I haven't signed up to play a game with people like at Gen Con cuz that terrifies me. Right. Like, I don't I don't want to do that. Like I I think this year I is the first year actually I am running games that are supposed to be on the schedule and maybe populated with complete and total strangers, but at least in that situation like I'm in charge. So that's right. cool. But I haven't signed up to play with anybody yet because that's scary. But the yeah. little the little cons though, you know, you kind of get a sense of people and it's 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 all friends of friends of friends, you know. Yeah. Um, so that's nice. Because I want to keep it mostly like about positive experiences yeah. and the things we need to work on to improve our community. But let's talk a little bit for a second about why why it's scary. Yeah. Because it's scary to me as a white, visibly straight cis woman. Sure. I don't have any disabilities. I I have privilege. Mm-hmm. And it still scares me. Yeah. Hard same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so let's talk about that for a minute because I hear that from so many people and not just not just from women, because we all hear these horror stories. And yet, every once in a while, I'll talk to somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I join convention tables all the time and I have a great time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would I would definitely be want to know like okay which convention are you talking about friend because if if you're talking about like Dreamation or Metatopia yeah man I'll drop in on anybody's game anytime anywhere it's gonna be awesome but Gen Con or I haven't been to Origins but I hear it's like similar size kind of thing that no 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 thank you <laughs> like I I need to go in with a friend or maybe four <laughs> uh, yeah and and for me my fear my fear is just you know the sexualization of either myself or my character mm-hmm. and the disregarding of my opinions or yeah. my knowledge or my ability play and that's as somebody without a disability yeah yeah for sure like uh last gen con i actually i don't normally use a cane when i'm out um but gen con i i took mine with me and i you know i had it out and it's it's not a it's not a mobility device it's what they call an id cane uh, or a symbol cane, and it's meant to just signal to other people around me that hello, I'm low vision. Um, don't step on me. Uh, so, so like that's its sole purpose is to just alert people around me, which is helpful in a huge crowd, but it's also like making me that much more visible, which is not always the thing that I want. <laughs> so yeah, so so I can imagine rolling up to a game full of strangers with that. It's it's a you know before I even say anything, that piece of information is out there and judgments are formed and. 
comments are made and it's it can be a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) She said. And I think that you talked about being more visible than perhaps you want. And that's that's a really sad thing, I think. Not not sad not sad as in like pathetic sad, like sad as in like that that makes my heart hurt. Mm -hmm. That being visible is a negative thing because I'm constantly, you know, surrounding myself by individuals who are saying, no, we deserve to be here. We need to take up space. We need to be visible and be loud and say that we belong Mm -hmm. so that we can tear down those constructs that society has put up about what the default is in this environment. It's sad in a way that visibility is sometimes viewed as I don't want to be visible. <laughs> yeah. And that that idea, though, that uh, like, I, I'm definitely on board and agree with the the idea that like, we do need to be visible and we do need to demand that we are we have a space here kind of thing. Um, I'm very pro that. Uh, but I think the thing that gets forgotten is like that takes a lot of energy and and a lot of effort and like it is definitely a good thing to do but i don't think it's something that anybody could sustain 24/7 certainly not i mean there's that certain aspect of like self-preservation and self-care yeah. that needs to be taken into account yeah and that's where I, that's where allyship comes in and learning and understanding mm-hmm. talking about that tweet and the language that we use just changing the way that we use language changing the way that we approach things at our own table to make things more accessible is the step that I can take as an able-bodied individual to help it be a safer place where people mm-hmm. can be visible and not yeah. have that fear, that anxiety, or that feeling of it being work. Yeah. Because being visible shouldn't be work. Yeah. And you're right. Nobody can say, sustain it 24-7. Yeah. That's why I think I only have one of those like big Gen Con level cons in me per year tops. <laughs> yeah. But it's also a wonderful thing why like cons like Acaticon and Metatopia mm-hmm. exist because, you know, I hear about them and I, I mostly hear positive experience from these smaller cons. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives me hope that if the positive experiences are occurring at these smaller cons, then maybe one day that will be the default at the big cons too. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's going to take a while, but I think it, that's where it's headed. So I also want you to tell me, because part of my podcast is mm. promoting my guests hey, hey. and what they're working on. <laughs> so tell me about Tactical Magic oh, gosh. and Magical Girls. Yes. Because dang, I like stories <laughs> about magical girls. Me too. I love magical girls a whole lot. I fell hard for Sailor Moon in like the sixth or seventh grade and I never recovered. <laughs> such a such a good show. I think that was definitely like my first like fandom, you know. I had I had my fan characters and I wrote fan fiction and I made fan art and I was super into it and I'm still like sort of peripherally aware of of things that go on. But man, if anybody wants to talk about like the late nineties uh fan senshi scene online hit me up it's a good time <laughs> so yes so tactical magic is um a video game that i am working on it was there is a a very a real real rough demo of it that was my thesis last year so i did a i did 2 years to get my bachelor's in uh, computer animation and interactive media that i finished last year and my thesis was a demo for a video game. 
And it's about magical girls because that is my hashtag brand. <laughs> I love them so much. It's it's a it's a part visual novel and part tactics RPG. So I've been calling it a tactical visual novel. And for folks who don't know, so visual novels are story video games, basically. If you've ever sat there and, and made dialogue choices and punched yes. through screens of, of talking, that's a visual novel. They're very good. Oh, I love that kind. Yeah, me too. And then the tactical RPG part is if you've played something like Fire Emblem or uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, anything with a grid that you're moving folks around and you make your little choices and it's not like a real time fighter thing, you're like, there's strategy. I, I will straight up say Final Fantasy Tactics is one of my favorite games of all time. Nice. So, you know, Magical Girls and FFG Tactics is like yeah. a billion percent up my alley. It's real good. I am I'm really excited about it and I'm kind of surprised that like more things don't operate in this weird crossover genre because final fantasy or fire emblem i played fire emblem awakening and it kind of does that like you you do battles you know you have your your um you fight your fights and then once you're done uh you go back and you may have unlocked cutscenes. But it's not really like dialogue choices. You're not really, you're not getting more than just like a couple of back and forth talking heads, which is cute and good. But I want this to be more, more like story driven. So the idea is to do kind of backwards from what um, Fire Emblem Awakening does, where uh, in Fire Emblem, if you keep putting people next to each other on the battlefield consistently, you will unlock scenes between them. And that's how you get each other. That's how you like marry people off, basically. It's it is it's a, a very grueling dating simulator. <laughs> but uh, so what I want to do is something that's the reverse of that, where you play through these stories and you make choices and you build these relationships through your story options and through these dialogues that unlock things that you can do as a team when you are in battle, because that's how magical girls work is through the power of friendship and the better the more care you take of your relationships, the better you work as a fighting team and the stronger your magic is and the more effective you are. Um, so that's what I want to be emulating with this. And like I said, it, it was my it was my thesis. So last year I worked on it um, pretty hardcore for several months and got a, a, a demo that functioned enough for me to pass the program, <laughs> but is still real, real rough. And I've been working on it a little bit since then. Um, I started a Patreon in the summer and uh, that allows me to spend, if you math it out, it comes to like two-ish days a month that I can devote to that because, um, as, and I, and I spend more than that on it, of course, because it's, mm -hmm. it's the love of my life, but I do have to do paid work sometimes. It, it lets me, it lets me do that. And, um, it's, it's been kind of in story hell for a little while because the team in the demo that you have, there's three girls, but mm -hmm. in my full vision of this game, <laughs> there are more. There are more girls. Um, the the magical girls are based on the Western Zodiac because everyone's first fan Sailor Moon team is based on the Western Zodiac, and I love it so much. It's just it's very it's a good nostalgic place for me to operate in. But yeah. that also means there are twelve characters on this team. Ah, and they're all very different girls. Like that was important to me from the start. So they're they're set in like the fictional alternate version of where I grew up in Florida, which despite being in the South was actually a pretty diverse area. And like our high school was pretty cool and diverse and you meet a lot of different people there. Um, and I wanted it to, to look like my teen years. So it's, it's lots of different girls and 
with 12 characters, I can I can get away with doing a lot of different kinds of representation that are that's important to me and important to other people. Yeah. Like one of the characters has albinism and it affects her character. Like I've taken that into consideration. It's not just an aesthetic choice. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, it, it's, it means a lot to me. It also means that I don't have the experience to write all of these. So I'm working on kind of getting some of the framework put together for what I'd like to see and then being able to use the Patreon to help me reach out to people to help me co-write some of this. Right. And um, people you can consult about experiences that you don't or can't have. Exactly. Yeah, that's that is really important to me to because it is such a story driven game to get those stories in here and get them told right, or at least authentically. Right. You know, even if it's not the exact experience for every person with albinism, like it was mine. So it's real you know like i i want that level for all of these girls and 12 is a lot <laughs> so so there's some work ahead um and that's just the story stuff i i've been doing everything else like it's it's all my art um the it's it's programmed in unity i'm using some frameworks that are really helpful for the tactics and for the visual novel aspects but like it's still a lot of work in there too to get those things to work but it's it's been a really fun experience <laughs> and so again like you're you're working in very visual very yeah like media heavy kind of world <laughs> that you exist in and mm -hmm. you're able to do that yeah which is pretty cool i mean i used to want to be an astronaut and this is a little bit more achievable so <laughs> <laughs> i think it's really empowering when you hear individuals with different kinds of disabilities who are doing something that would not be expected yeah and I want to like it's what you're talking about being being loud and being visible uh, and how that's uh, takes energy. And it it's something that I want to be able to do. Like I want to be able to put this game out here and have it be a product that I'm really happy with and, and just scream about it on the Internet all day long. Because I, I want I feel like if if I had been 10 or 12 years old and knew like, oh, somebody like me made a video game or somebody like me is in animation, like I it wouldn't have taken me 10 years to get back to trying it. You know, like that's when I was little, I thought, yeah, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to go to art school. And then I didn't. And then I kept putting it off. And I was like, no, I can't because I because reasons I can't do it. It's not a thing that I could do. It took me until I was 30 to go back and say, well, maybe let's try it. Let's see what happens. And it's it's possible. Right. <laughs> it was an option this whole time. Who knew? Not me. Yeah, I think I think that's the the gist of the of tactical magic so far. So there that's that's the name that I've the the working name that I've given this video game. They're um the the team is the Astral Knights. So uh I love that. Yeah, they're real cute. <laughs> also referring to women as knights because women can yeah. be knights. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> you're just you're hitting all the markers here. Nice. Good. <laughs> oh man. I'm so happy. I I uh, I the, the outfits that I have settled on them for right now are um are, are pretty cute. I was trying to figure out ways to make them more like knight-ish, but I, I wasn't finding ways to do that that I liked yet. So we'll see. Uh, there's still there's still time for them to change, but that's that's their name at least. So that makes me happy. Oh, uh, they're so cute. That's definitely a thing I stole from like Sailor Moon and other um like really cohesive magical girl teams where like they've they've kind of got the same basic outfit, but it's in their signature color and they have to have their own style of shoes and right. then these girls get their own gloves. So I love it. Mm -hmm. That's so cute. Add their little personality to it. 
That's that's yeah. one of my favorite things is just like expressing their your your personality within the framework of like a team aesthetic. Yeah. I love it. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I adore it. It's really beautiful art too. I I really like your style. Thank you. But you talked about how if you had seen somebody like you who had designed a game mm-hmm. 10 years ago, maybe you would have gone to school earlier or, you know, ventured down that path sooner Mm -hmm. of where you are now. So representation is always so important to see ourselves represented in media of all sorts. But why is that representation so important to you personally? And how do you feel about being that representation for potentially the you Hmm. of 10 years ago? Hmm. So... Man, both can be summed up with crying, but in different ways. <laughs> so, so growing up, the representation that I had to choose from was extremely slim. And it's almost always... So I guess to, to just be super specific, uh, characters with albinism almost never exist. Uh, when they do, they are... I am struggling to think of a, of a female example Um right now i can only think of one example and it is recent and a bad yeah like a bad guy that's the other thing is they're almost always bad oh is there a is there a girl in black lightning too no no just oh oh, uh, just the the one okay yeah yeah there's a villain in black lightning which i will give them this they actually the actor actually has albinism so like cool fine i'm cool like a lot of times it doesn't happen there's um i remember seeing in like middle school a friend and i went to see josie and the Pussycats, which was a great movie up until the end where like Alan Cummings character is like weirdly revealed to just be like, he's like the bad guy and he's motivated because like he's in disguise and he's had albinism this whole time and he's mad about it or something. Like I kind of blacked out when the reveal happens in the theater because I I felt like so very seen at that moment by like in this dark theater by everyone around me. So I don't remember exactly how it all pans out. I just remember being like very physically uncomfortable through the through the end of the movie and like leaving the theater feeling like everyone is staring at me i don't enjoy this so apologies if i have the exact uh details of that wrong but uh um but so so things like that or or um i remember my family uh or my my mom and my brother and i sitting down to watch me myself and irene and there's a character with albinism who is constantly the butt of jokes and we i didn't make it the whole way through the movie i was like i can't this is tiring like i'm gonna go and um i think my younger brother finished watching it and he has albinism too and so i don't know if like if the character is redeemed or is you know anything other than a than a joke. I know that actor also has albinism, which is cool. But my point is <laughs> that uh, that yeah, there it's it's always like they're either a villain or they're a joke. They're pretty much always a guy, and so there wasn't really anything for me to identify with, and definitely not in a positive way. And and things haven't really gotten that much better. So yeah, so it's frustrating. Representation has been frustrating. Yeah, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> that's it's okay. I mean, I I do have I do have passing privilege, I guess, uh, is is the way to put that. In that, like as a kid, I I very visibly 
looked like I have had albinism, but like as I've gotten older, my my hair has gotten a little darker. So like I just look like I'm really blonde, and there's no right. shortage of blonde girls in media. So like I kind of have like I, I have a fallback, and it's not bad, <laughs> right? Um, but it's still not. It, yeah, it's still not me, yeah. and it's still not my experience. And they're always able-bodied, and and you know, so like my my plan B and my plan C, they're they're fine, but um, they're still not what I want to see. Yeah, where was this going? And then <laughs> as far as I guess like being that representation or helping create it in in the fact that like I want to have a positive girl character with albinism in my video game. Like I want that to be out there. I want to I want to put that in the stuff that I make. I want to put that piece of me out there in the stuff that I make. Like it's super important to me and I hope that I am able to finish a thing and that it can reach someone and they'll go Yes, that's me. Thank you. I needed that. Um, yeah. That's what I'm looking to do. That's important. Yeah. It's such a like heartening goal to have mm-hmm. because the phrase being the change you want to be is thrown around. But in the truest sense, you are doing that. You're recognizing that maybe you can be that for somebody else. And that's a really beautiful thing. I'm really excited to see tactical girls come to fruition. Yeah. Oh. You and I first kind of talked over voice versus just on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, was recording Arrow Girl and being involved in that project. So I just have to plug that for for Dwayne because it's yeah. it's really fun. Yeah, I can't wait to start sharing that around and plugging that. That's been that's been it's been really fun. Like I yeah. wish there was more words I could use to describe it, but it's it has been that. It's Absolutely. just such a like pure hearted like yeah. teen story. Yeah. <laughs> And I get to be I get to be a twelve year old boy or however old he is, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really like his character. He's he's a great character. Mm-hmm. So uh I guess before we sign off, so to speak, mm-hmm. is there anything else that you feel you I guess wanted to touch on or talk about in terms of the RPG community and and what you want to see change or different in the community. You know, you're part of the One Shot Network, which major props to to that entire network for really showing what a inclusive and positive RPG yeah. community can be. And and you're part of that and you're surrounded by that on a regular basis, which is a really wonderful thing. Yeah. Man, it's it's kind of bananas sometimes to remember that that yeah, I'm I'm on that network and they do such cool good stuff uh cuz they're most of it's Chicago based and I'm out in Brooklyn so I don't get to like see them all the time or talk to them all the time, but there has been like with I think every industry and especially every creative industry lately, there have been a lot of like not so positive incidents and and kind of a reckoning is happening right now. And and some incidents of of like harassment and just not good things happening uh, between people. And so some of those, in my opinion, haven't been handled as well as they should have. Uh, But we had our own recently that came up and I am just... I, I talked about it briefly on Twitter and it didn't directly involve me. So like, I don't want to say a ton, but right. I am really proud of and impressed by how James and Kat handled it. And I think that like the example that they're setting both in how they handled it and how they're making steps from there and, and, and moving forward with, uh, with 
procedures and with conduct and with transparency. I think it's I'm I'm super proud to be part of that network and to to stand next to them and their decisions. And I think that they are a, a very positive example to look towards when we've got some other groups that are not handling it as as well, I think. Um, and there's still a lot of room to we, we have a lot of discussions that we need to have as a community on, on how to handle stuff. But I think I think my team is doing a good job. So. <laughs> I would I would agree with that. Only good things can be said about. Yeah, I've only had positive experiences with with the folks involved in the one shot network. Yeah. And even over on the one shot discord, the level of respect and kindness that is awarded to what are essentially complete strangers to begin with mm-hmm. is is really heartening because I think that you and the one shot network as a as a whole provide a beautiful example of what the RPG community can be. Yeah. I, I thank you for being a part of that. Oh well thank you. I, I feel like every everyone that like 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 attracts like in this way, I feel I was only getting back into the RPG community shortly before I joined the network, honestly. And everyone that I have met through them and because of them have been just as positive and amazing and supportive and, you know, just genuine and compassionate and all of the other good adjectives that I can think of. It, it's been a really amazing experience. And I don't, we've, we've built a very good community here, I think, yes. with, within the, the larger games umbrella. And it, it kind of feeds into the, the just the one other thing I wanted to say about the community was that circling back to the disability stuff, I have through this community, I have become more comfortable with just my whole deal <laughs> with with all of this. Uh, and and I, I I've, yeah, I've become more comfortable uh, advocating for myself and talking about things and getting what I need more so through the last couple of years with this community, I think, than with years and years and years of, of <laughs> doing it through like public education or like trying to, to to get what I need in school, that that sort of thing. Like the, the the structures that I know that were in place to like sort of help me. But like, yeah, just being in this community the last couple of years has done like 10 times that just because everybody is, is already so, so welcoming and so supportive. It's cool. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going, get sweet excess bonus content for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG casts and for I Am Here. Visit the website at IamHerePodcast.com for show notes, transcripts, and so much more. You can find more about RPG casts by going to RPGcasts.com and follow on Twitter at at RPG underscore casts. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.